You know, I am really a voracious reader, but I have to read a lot of nonfiction, a lot of really serious stuff for my job. So when I get the chance to read nonfiction, um, I'm pretty excited. And I, I discovered an author who uh, just his writing is just so amazing. I love a good mystery. I like when a little cop stuff's thrown in, a little politics, things like that. And uh, so after I discovered these books, then I discovered the author on social media. And I found out that we have some pretty similar views on a lot of different things. Plus, we're both retired sergeants, but he was a sergeant with the largest police department in the nation. So I want you to meet Sergeant Andrew Nelson, retired from the NYPD. Sarge, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Bertie. Hey, so uh, you were an NYPD sergeant. That's a pretty big deal career. Um, talk about your career. Well, I joined the NYPD back in 1985, and I retired in 2005. And during that time, I was a police officer, a detective, and a sergeant. So what was your what was your favorite, most coolest assignment with the NYPD? Uh, probably with the intelligence division. I was there as a detective, and it was uh, very interesting because you got to see things from within the fish bubble. And I worked with the Secret Service and the State Department. And so I think that would probably be one of the pinnacles of my career. So I always have to, uh, you know, I started in 1980s. Um, so we're kind of, we're contemporaries there as well. Um, but, uh, but where, <laughs> uh, I always have to ask everybody from, from uh, NYPD, where were you on 911 Uh Actually, that was a, uh, an election day. So I was in Brooklyn uh, doing election post coverage when the first calls came over. And after that, then we responded into Manhattan. And so I was there and helping with the evacuation for most of the day. So you retired uh, after 20 years. And, uh, and you know, we all, every cop, you know, out there, dreams of retirement, everybody watching, right? You know, uh, yeah. whether you're a cop or not, you know, you, you always dream about retirement. And uh, when you retired after 20 years, what, what was the plan? To do nothing to enjoy retirement uh and then i got bored <laughs> well okay so i just want to say that you really failed at that whole retirement thing right because you are just an incredibly prolific writer and you've got you you, you you've got the james mcguire series and then you have the alex taylor series how did all that start? Because I, I just have to say this, a lot of people, a lot of people that I talk to, they're, they always, you know, yeah, I'm going to retire and I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do that. Uh, you know, how did that whole thing start? Well, it's an interesting story because it actually started before 9-11. Uh, and it, I say my writing career began on a bet with my wife. And we were, both of us are voracious readers as well. So we were having a discussion one day and she said that she thought writing a book would be hard. And I said, no, I didn't think it would. Having spent so much time, you know, doing investigations and writing reports, I figured, you know, it, it's crime. So you're just basically changing all the details. So she dared me to write her a chapter, which I did. And she loved it, wanted me to do more. And then 9-11 occurred and everything kind of took a backseat um, from 9-11 from until I retired. Uh, we were pretty much going all the time. So after I retired, 
took a job actually with the sheriff's department, local sheriff's department here in Illinois, and did that for two years, realized I ruined a pretty good retirement. And so I was home and she basically said, I started getting bored. She said, well, why don't you finish the book? I was like, ah, nah. She says, it's really good. I said, I don't remember it. And she says, I do. So that started the process. She gave me the details that she had remembered. And I sat down and I started writing and I realized that it was enjoyable. I actually enjoyed the entire process of it, of crafting that story. And so it took me about a year to finish the first book. And right after that, I realized I, I did enjoy it. And I jumped immediately into the second book. And to date, I have 15 books, uh, 12 of which are fiction, three of which are nonfiction. And I'm currently working on another book at this moment. So how did you develop um, James McGuire? Where did he come from? And tell, tell people who he is. James McGuire is the main character in my series. Uh, he's a retired or former Navy SEAL. And at the time of the first book, he's a retired detective with the NYPD. And I had the entire premise of the book um, when I sat down to write it. And I knew he was going to be retired at the time. And my first thought was just I was going to write one book. And after that, I realized nah, I, I enjoy this. So I had to craft an entire story for him moving forward. And it's in a unique situation. And yes, I do take certain liberties with it um, in terms of the, the career advancement that he goes through. But it is fiction. Um, and one of the things that I try to do uh, is present law enforcement because I grew up, you know, reading Joseph Wambaugh um, and that was a big influence on me in, in the early years. And I wanted to have a contemporary uh, influence maybe on this generation of police that see the struggles that we have in law enforcement being portrayed and revealed to readers that maybe they never thought about before. And I actually did have one review where they said I was too pro-police. And I'm thinking, well, you know what? That's kind of like a negative review I'll accept. Uh, I'll enjoy that one. I love that because that's one of the things um, that a lot of times when you read, you know, police related mysteries, you know, the the cop, you know, either he turns out to be a bad guy or or, you know, he's he's a drunk or he commits crimes or whatever. There's all, all kinds of bad stuff. Um and uh, and you decided to really portray law enforcement uh, again, not just in a positive light, but really in a pretty r realistic light. And and you know what what was your process um, in developing not just James McGuire, but you know some of your other law enforcement characters? Well, coming from that background, um, you know you do realize there. Every profession is going to have people in it that shouldn't be in it. But the vast majority of the profession does their job diligently. And the job does change you. And one of the things that I, I don't like, and it's one of the reasons why my wife won't watch any law enforcement related show with me, is I pick it apart. And I, yeah, exactly. And I wanted to, I wanted, I wanted to bring the reader into a world 
like the NYPD that they will never witness. But I also wanted cops to be able to pick up the book and go, okay, yeah, that's accurate. That's, that's the way it happens. And so I had the character of James McGuire. I knew who he was. I, I had already created that, you know, mental image in my mind. And most of the characters in the books are composites. They draw a little bit from my career, people that I've met. Um, one of the interesting characters is uh, Rich Stargold. And he is a composite of the people from the Secret Service that I had worked with. And then when I created the character of Alex Taylor, I knew she needed to be different. And so where I have James McGuire, who I, you know, I consider to be the quiet professional, Alex Taylor is his alter ego. She, it's, it's kind of like that good cop, bad cop scenario. Alex is going to get the job done. You may not like the way she gets it done, but she's effective and, and she knows what she's doing. So that was my goal in all of it to just be able to reach out to those law enforcement readers, people that like fiction, that like mystery, um, and give them that, you know, inside look of how the NYPD works. Now, when, when did you decide to bring Alex Taylor really onto the scene? That was uh, one of those situations where I hadn't intended to do it. I knew uh, I, I was in the process of writing Queen's Gambit, which was a sequel to Perfect Pawn. And I was in that process and it was taking me a little bit longer because, like I said, my, I, I had one book in me. And when it came out, my wife was like, you need to write a sequel. Okay. But I started to develop this character of Alex Taylor, and I realized she kind of needs her own book. And so I had started it off. I was going to do a short story. And I wrote it. It wasn't that long. It was maybe about 20,000 words. Gave it to my wife for her to look at. She finished it up, and she says, you can't do this. This has to be a full-length book. And I'm like, <laughs> so I blame her for everything. Um, so I, I love your wife. <sighs> I went back to the drawing board and I fleshed out an entire novel of it. And I actually enjoyed it because I realized things that I couldn't get away with, with James McGuire because of his character, I could with Alex. So they play off of each other. And I, I like that. And so they both actually make appearances in each other's books. Yeah. Which is one of the fascinating things about your series is they are interrelated. And, and I, I think that's one of the most, enjoyable things um now when you're writing mysteries especially police related mysteries you gotta have bad guys who's your baddest bad guy that's a good question um it it's it's very strange for me because i have all of these people that are the protagonists in all of it and i think the one that really got to me on a personal level was the terrorists that I write about in Queen's Gambit because when I was going through that process it would have been very easy for me to just make them a totally bad person which most of the other uh, characters are but I wanted the reader to have this visceral response to this one character 
and for that black and white lines to be crossed so it becomes gray. So I had one reviewer who told me that she actually cried when she read the part in the book about the terrorist. And I said, well, that was good because that's, that's the response that I wanted to elicit. Um, in writing bad people, it's easy to just make them so horrible that you hate them. And I think a different tack sometimes is when you hate somebody so much, but you actually find yourself connecting with them, not necessarily agreeing with them, but that that human bond of thinking, okay, I can understand that. I don't agree with it, but I understand your reasoning. And I think that adds a different dimension to it because you want to hate them, but there's like, oh, I, I, I get it. And so that's, that's the, the, that's the one that sticks out most to me. Well, you know, and I think that's one of the things that's so powerful about your writing is a lot of mystery writers, um, they've interviewed cops and, and, you know, military personnel and stuff and done research for their book. You actually lived um, what to write about, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, so yeah. a lot of the things that you see in there, the, the, the common stuff of police work, you know, one scene where you have a car stop and the two officers are, are interacting with each other. That's what goes through cops minds. They have these I mean, they're partners. So they're having this discussion and you see the humor. But then you see just how quickly things can devolve and how fast they devolve. And the old saying of, you know, police work is 99% boredom, 1% sheer terror. You just never know when that 1% is going to kick in. And in this one passage, you see that 1% sheer terror kick in. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, and one of the things I always I always want to ask fiction writers is, how do you keep track of, you know, especially you writing this series, you know, the two series, really, how do you keep track of the characters? Like, do you do storyboards? Do you, what is it that you do? Because your characters are very complex. Your stories are very complex. How do you keep track of everybody? You have this whole fictional world. Uh they are, but they live in my mind. <laughs> so it, it makes it a little bit easier um, because I've been with them for this entire journey and I crafted it. Um, sometimes I have to go back. I will keep notes about certain characters, uh, especially some of the minor ones where I'll just make notes about their background that I can easily revert back to. Uh, the current book that I'm working on uh, is a an origin story for James McGuire, and it goes back to his time when he was in the SEAL teams and <clears throat> dealing with uh, an assignment that goes bad down in Mexico. So I had to actually research a little bit more of him to flesh it out for the story. Now, do you, you know, obviously these are books, so we don't see pictures of these characters, but, you know, you must have Alex and what she looks like in your head and, mm -hmm. and James McGuire, what does he look like in your head and all these other characters? You must have this whole running movie in your head. Is that how it works? That is basically how it works. Um, I can, I actually see the scene in my head and how it, uh, uh, it evolves and then I write it. So as I'm going through the writing process, this is like a movie that's already played out in my head. And yes, Henry Cavill, is James McGuire in my mind. So 
And now that he's not in Superman anymore, he has time for this. <laughs> now, um, any uh, any uh, movie or television talk on these characters and on on your writings? Because there should it, be. It, it did. There should be. Uh, it actually it did get to someone in Hollywood, and the unfortunate thing was that occurred right during or right before the whole George George Floyd incident. And basically the feedback I got was these are great. They would do phenomenal, except not a good time for the uh, police. So. Well, and that's a great transition into, into yeah. my next question is, you know, how, I mean, first and foremost, you know, you, you spent 20 years with the NYPD. That's gotta be a big part of your heart and soul. And, and um, mm -hmm. you know, when you, when you saw this now over three years of the vilification and the demonization of not just the American law enforcement officer, but, but your own police department and, and the way that, that the NYPD has been politicized and abused, you know, how does that feel? It's, it's tough. Um, it, it, it's almost indescribable because you, you know in your heart the what the truth is and you're seeing people that are spewing these lies for a political agenda and you you want to grab them and say do you understand number one the damage you're doing because like i said i came on as you did back in the 80s and crime was bad but we by and large, had the public support. They were happy to see us. Now you have this scenario where not only is crime bad, but you have this vilification of police. And what are you going to do the day those cops decide, you know what? It's not worth it. I can go into the public sector. I can go into the trades. I can become a fireman. I don't need this anymore. And if you think things are bad now, wait until you see that, because you can only you can only lay the blame of everything at someone's feet for so long before they say, I'm just not going to do it anymore. So, you know, like I said, the crime is the same. We experienced, you know, back, going back to crack and everything else. So we understand that the cr levels of crime are there. It's just this abandonment by the public um, that is the likes we haven't seen of before. You know, you you actually lived through the original broken windows policing and Comstat and all that. And that's something that we're talking mm -hmm. about now is, uh, you know, because everybody, everybody, you know, and I get this question in the media all the time. Well, how do we fix this terrible crime problem in the United States? And I always say, we know exactly how to do it. Go yes. back to... Uh, New York, go back to broken windows policing and look at how successful that was. We just have a couple of minutes, but explain to people why broken windows policing worked. Basically, broken windows works by addressing the minor issues that will eventually lead to more and more increasing levels of crime. So you may not like it, but if you address the issues of kids hanging out on the corner, those minor violation, uh, the, the quality of life violations, uh, 
you get them off the street, there is no longer a breeding ground for that criminal element. And I've always said, as far as, you know, Mayor Giuliani went, hated him as a boss, loved him as a mayor, because he understood that we're not here to cater to the minority. And I mean, in terms of, you know, the groups of people that are always complaining about too much law enforcement, we're here to, you know, make, make sure that the quality of life for the majority of people, people want to be able to live their lives in relative peace and safety. And so you address that. And I've always said, you know, you go into these urban areas, you know, the criminal element doesn't like you, but by and large, the people are happy you're there because they don't have to worry about being victims anymore. And we have to, in this country, we have to take a long, hard look at personal responsibility in terms of, you know, it can't be just the police's fault all the time. We have to look at parents. We have to look at schools. We have to say, hey, we all have to do a job. And if you're not out there making sure your kid is towing the line, you're going to find him out in the streets doing whatever he wants. I got to tell you, that is so well said. Uh, Sarge, where can people find out more about you, about your books, and where can they reach you on social media? Uh, my website is andrewgnelson.org. My books are available through Amazon, on Kindle, and paperback. You can also get them at Barnes & Noble. And I, I'm also on Twitter at Andrew G. Nelson. I got to tell you, I can't recommend these books enough uh the entire series in fact i just uh sent a couple to my mother-in-law so uh i can't well, thank, thank you, you enough for for being with us and if you'd like more information about the national police association visit us at nationalpolice.org put your gun down put your gun down last year Law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.